We, um, I'm going to share briefly just because there's just not a lot of time today, but I prayed into this. I've been praying a lot. One of the reasons that we got away was just to pray a lot, and um, there's been a few things I've just prayed the Lord would highlight. What do you want this year to be? You know, what is every year for me is a, it's a new time, it's a new season. What is it that you want us to, what is it you're going to do this year? Um, and one of the things the Lord has put on my heart is that we were going to go to new levels in our praise and worship than we've ever been at before. Um, this morning was a token of it, but it was just a token of what God's going to do. And I long for the time where when we come through the doors, I was just, I'm just going to talk transparent with you. I just long for the time when the altar is immediately filled with praisers and worshipers. Um, people that, the rows are just too confining. <laughs> They're just too confining. And, and um, I want to talk to you a little bit about more praise this morning because I think we hear lots of good worship, lots of good worship sermons. <laughs> You know, you should not only worship the Lord, but live a life of worship. But I actually want to talk to you this morning about praise. Because I feel like praise is so important to what happens in this place. And I, um, there's two different types of praise. There is one type of praise that's pretty easy. It's a response to something good that's happened. How many know it's very easy to respond to something with praise? That's good. You know, um, how many of you know that, you know, you've been praying for that breakthrough at work and you get that, you get that, that raise, and how many of you know at that moment, it's pretty easy to give praise to God? It's not like, you know, it's, it's easy. It's like, oh, it's a, it's just, thank you, Jesus. And so there's a type of praise that is appropriate. It, it, it's very appropriate that we do praise him in response to something good that happens, but see, that's just one type of praise. The other type of praise that I want to talk about this morning is the ability to give thanks before you have a reason to give thanks. I feel like if we can come into the place where we can give thanks before we even have a reason to give thanks, we're, 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 we're modeling a whole different type of praise. And I, I led worship, as I said, for many, many years, I don't know, 16, 17 years, and there was this thing you would notice as a worship leader that I can talk about that is like every worship leader, am I hearing music or is it, oh, oh, it's like worship, Mary, um, those intercessors, always something crazy going on, um, but, but I, I, led, I led worship for a number of years, and any worship leader knows that the one thing that is really frustrating for a worship leader is when you come into a group atmosphere and it's like there's this like, I'm just going to kind of wait until things get going. And your poor worship team's up there, man, doing everything they've got, going for it, man. And it's like, I remember talking to somebody one time and I just asked them, I was like, why? This is a long time ago. I said, I said to her, I said, why do you stand there like a grump every Sunday with your arms crossed? until the middle of the service, and then all of a sudden you're dancing in the aisle. Well, you know, I just wait until I feel the Spirit move me. Well, I get the Spirit moves you, but I also get that we can come in here and we can move heaven. I'm gonna, you know, I'm jumping way ahead of my notes, but Paul and Silas were in prison and they praised in chains and moved heaven to earth. What if they had waited there and says, I'll praise you once I feel you moving? They may have died in bondage. 
if they had waited to fill something before they praised. And, and I believe there is an appropriate response of, of thanksgiving. And there is times the spirit gets moving. I get it. You, you get in deeper. But there's a type of praise that actually happens even before there's anything to give praise over. And it's, I, I have three kids. Um, they're, they're getting bigger. And one of the, it, the two older ones aren't quite as excited when I get home anymore. Used to be more excited. But um, we had, at one point, we had this bonus room, which is now a bedroom. And in this bonus room, it was over my garage. So when I pulled into my driveway, there's the little double windows up there. And it used to be their playroom. And sometimes I would pull in, and they'd hear me get out, and you'd, you'd see these little hands, you know, pulling the blinds up, breaking your blinds. You know how kids do? Like I'm like, no, you're breaking my blinds. And they pull it, and you see Kinsey, you know, and you see Addie's forehead, you know? She's like, you know, you can't see anything. She's too short at that point. And they're, they're getting excited. And for me as a father, my response to that is not going to be, you know what, I'm just going to go and do some yard work right now. And when I, you know, in a little bit, I'll go inside. No, what happened? My kids praised Daddy. They were praising Daddy. Dad, I love you. You're great, Dad. I'm so glad you're home. I mean, I've been gone for like six hours. Missed you. That draws a daddy in. I'm going to go in anyways. He's going to come either way. But there's a position of our heart that we can actually go before the presence. You hear me out? In front of the presence. And praise him and usher him in. Psalms 22, uh, Psalms 22, 3 makes this, um, I'll just read it to you here. Um, it says this. Psalms 22, actually I'm going to read a couple probably even before it. Psalms 22, verse, um, let's just start with one. It says that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, there's definitely groaning going on here called whining. Oh God, I cry in the daytime, but you don't hear me. And in the night season, you're silent. But you are holy. And here it is. Enthroned in the praises of his people. I like the word in. He's not like enthroned on. He's enthroned in the praises of his people. What's the point? When we praise him, we create, imagine as if you're creating a pathway for him to come in. He's whining here, and the writer's, oh, I'm crying in the day, I'm crying in the night, you're not hearing me. Oh, Selah. And he's like, and he says, but you, O oh Lord, are enthroned in the praises of your people. This is the type of praise that the writer didn't say, and then everything turned around. And then in the response to that breakthrough, I praised you. And in that moment you came, he didn't say any of that. He said, okay, it still stinks. But in that, I praise you. And in my praises to you, 
you come down. The greatest mistake that we can make when we come into a praise and worship service is to let anything be dictated by our circumstances. Praise is a decision. I wake up really early on Sunday mornings, and I know when I'm getting to that church, I'm praising. I don't care if I'm the only one, and I know I won't be, but I don't care if I'm the only guy here. I'm going to hoot. I'm going to holler. I'm going to praise. And see, he shows up. Because he's a good daddy that says, oh, I love it when my kids praise me. I'm going to set up right there because that's where I want to be. Oh. <laughs> Praise creates this highway for him to enter in to our circumstances, into our world. The Bible says, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce around a little just because of time, but in 2 Samuel uh, 6 verse 14, we have this scripture where the ark of the the Ark of the Presence is coming back. Remember this? I'll give it to you just in a snapshot. They had lost it. The Ark had, you know, went away. And it's kind of the cool story where it was put in the same room as this god, Dagon. My favorite story. Every time they come in, this idol was like another piece of its body was broke off. And it was face down. Can you imagine what was happening when no one is in the room? Like the, the, that's like something happening in that room where here's the presence that was brought into the room with this idol, and, and the idol literally could not stand in the presence. It's just like, and they come in, and then like an arm's broke off, and they couldn't stand. And so here they are. They get the ark back. They're bringing the ark back. Here's David. How many of you know long before David was a king or a warrior, he was a worshiper? The greatest credentials you can have is to be a worshiper. I said the greatest credentials that you can have is to be a worshiper. When people, when people sometimes, I don't know if I should say this publicly, but sometimes people tell me all about themselves and how great they are. I watch them worship. I just kind of peek at them and I look. And because I know what is happening in your heart, the overflow of that is how you worship. And if nothing's coming out week after week after week, there's something missing in the heart. So you can tell me the school you went to and the ordination you hold and the licensing you have, but do you worship? David was a worshiper in a field. You remember with Goliath? I mean, what an insult. They come looking for somebody, and here's David. They don't even bring him in. They bring all the other brothers in, and they're showing them off for who's going to go defeat this giant and they don't even bring the worshiper in they leave him in the field i mean come on talk about nina sozo you know like your family didn't even bring you into the lineup and then uh, who was it was it um was it jesse i can't remember who it was that was looking but said is this is samuel samuel said is is this all your kids or david He's that artsy one. I love artists. I'm going to be controversial. My wife got a tattoo recently. Deal with it. Um, If you don't like one, don't get one. No problem. Um, But something neat happened. Um... She was actually gifted the money for the tattoo from a lot of you. 
And um, we went in there, and this, this gentleman was talking, chit-chatting, and saying, oh, you know, what, what, what made you decide to get a tattoo? Well, actually, my church paid for it. <laughs> All of a sudden, he, for the first time ever, felt valued as an artist by the body of Christ. And all of a sudden, the door opened wide. I mean, he was stuck there with me for like six hours, and I was stuck there with him because Tiffany wasn't going alone. And we're sitting there, and we're just talking, and he's like, are you, he's like, you're serious? He said, I, you're my first client that ever had their tattoo paid for by church people. He was an artist. David was an artist. He was out in the field singing, playing his heart, you know? He's probably just that kid that trips over things. You know, he says, da-da-da-da. And Samuel says, is there another kid? And he says, what's David? I mean, you got David. He's my musician. Bring him in. So they brought him in. The Bible said he was ruddy, which was redheaded and good-looking. You should know that. <laughs> the grace rung strong with the redheads. I'm just saying. The force is there. Um, and... Um, <laughs> David comes in, and I can just, I can't tell you, I just tell you how I see it. I see David jogging in, hey, Dad, what's up? You know, got his guitar under his arm, and Samuel says, there he is. That's the one. Why? Because he carried the presence. And so let's fast forward. Here he is. He, he grew up singing. The thing about David that was so cool is he was doing stuff at times he shouldn't have been able to do it. They weren't living. This is not after the cross where Jesus died on the cross. Now we all get to have him in our heart. And we all get to partake of the kingdom. David didn't have that. He was stepping into things that no one had in, ever had stepped into as a kid. And here he is years later. The Bible said that he was dancing as the ark was coming back. And if you actually look up the word dance used in that passage, it literally means that he was twirling in circles. And what happens next? Remember his, his uh, wife, McCall, she's, she's up there looking out the window. And she says this statement, look at the king today. It was not like a, oh, look at the king today. It was like a, look at the king today. And David made this amazing statement. He said, before I was ever chosen to be king, I was a worshiper. But the Bible said, and forgive me, I'm, I'm, if you want to write down the passage, it's 2 Samuel 6, 14. You can, you can read all this when you leave. Um, it said that David danced before the presence. Here's the thing. Don't read that word wrong. It's not like daddy, me as a daddy is sitting in my room and my little girl is dancing in my presence for me. Like that's one version of what you could look at of dancing in my presence before, before me. It's not like that. That's not what he did. David didn't dance. He wasn't dancing before the Lord like the Lord was looking and David was dancing before the Lord. It's not what it means. That's the wrong interpretation of the word. The word actually means before is the word, it's spelled P-A-N. I-Y-M, it's panim, and it means this, in front of. David danced in front of the presence that was coming. Now, David was a 
Old Testament prototype of a worship that was going to come. He was doing, like when he wanted to set up the tent and do the worship 24-7, I mean, that's, what do we get to do? We get to live a life of worship 24-7. David, David, get the picture. The ark's not coming and he's just next to it dancing. He's literally leading the way of the presence by spinning. I mean, his clothes were flying off. I mean, he was really spinning. And his clothes, you know, you know the scripture. And then his wife looks down and says, oh, look at David. He says, listen, woman, before I was ever a king, I was a worshiper. We have to understand the power. If we're going, and I'm, I'm going to bring a lot of things very quickly to you, but if we're ever going to tap into where we really want to be as a church in our praise and our worship services, we have to break the mentality of, I'll get in it when I feel it. If Paul and Silas had done it, they died in chains. I guarantee you when they, I guarantee you they didn't see it ending up that way. As they're chained up saying, well, this is not where we saw things ending. And they could have said, well, woe is me. He's forsaken me. No. What they do? They, they panim. They praised him before anything happened. And they brought through their praise in front of, it literally released heaven into their situation. That will alter churches, families, cities, when we come in. And this is my challenge to you in the new year. And I'm going to challenge you to even get a little moving with it in praise. It's okay. It's okay. You know, I, won't be, I won't be fleshy. Why? He made it. He said, your flesh will cry out. My flesh ain't bad. I'm, I'm, baby, I'm saved. Sin is bad. Oh, we got some work to do this morning. <laughs> All right. We got we to get there. L let me just say this. Let me say this. You ever thought it was weird that Jesus could go around preaching a message to everyone, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? He's preaching a message of repentance and the crowds keep growing. That's kind of abnormal. Except for we look at it from a perspective of get saved. It's not what repent means. It means change your thinking. It means change what you're doing. It means change the direction you're going. Jesus comes in, and he's going from town to town to town, preaching a message of change. And he said some harsh stuff at times. I know we like the, the, the super book version of Jesus, but he said some things at time that was like, whoa. Now, but people kept coming. Why? I am convinced that the cornerstone of Jesus' ministry was that Jesus said, I only do what the Father does and I only say what he says. And when God, and I said this when I started this morning, when God created man, his original intent was he said, they're good. That means when Jesus ministered, he ministered to people with the cornerstone of thinking that these are good people. What if every pastor, oh boy, what happens is, is we get hurt. I'm going to speak honestly as a pastor. You get your feelings hurt, things happen, and you start going through this filter of, you know, well, not everybody's good. Go back to, go back to the first mention of man. Say, well, then sin came in. Well, yeah, then he sent his son to reverse it. 
God said, he created man and he created woman and he said, they're good. So when Jesus ministered, he had to think the way, he thought the way the father thought. And he ministered from a place of saying, these are good people. That's what kept drawing them. When you bring a message of repentance through a filter of you bunch of mean-spirited, nasty people, of course they're not going to keep coming. Jesus was so filled with love for his people, his children. He said, they're good. I get it. I get it. Sin has come in. I get that. But they're good. It's easy, guys. Sin is bad. Man is good. Some of you, this is so hard for you to grab onto because you have been taught so much about your sinful nature and your sinful flesh. Was the cross sufficient or wasn't it? Was it enough or was it not enough? Because the idea of saying, I, I, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, you sure were, but you're not anymore. Now you're a king and a priest. You're not just this... There is no just in God's kids. I'm just. There is no just. You're all that in a bag of chips. I mean, you're not just anything. God's like, these are my kids. They're good. I get it that you messed up. I'm going to come back, and we're going to take it all back. And people couldn't stay away from him because he just thought they were so good. Your evangelism will go up majorly if you treat people like they're good. You know the thing Jesus did? He could see them through what they were supposed to be, and he couldn't just look at them through what they were now because he came with an assignment to reverse things. So the only way that Jesus could view you was through what you're called to be. That's, his, that's how he saw you. I see people that walk in, and yeah, I mean, you can see the mess, and you can see this. Jesus just saw, that's my kid. This will not do. They're good. This wasn't even my message today. So because of that, you praise. Um, it's, you, uh, it's so important that we, we've, we finally are getting that he's good. And I felt like God said, but do you actually know that you're good? He said, you'll really let loose if you figure out that I think you're good. We're, we're overturning some strongholds in this room. I can feel them. I can feel them falling over this morning. Wow. Jesus. <laughs> can, we, can, we, um, can we quickly go through a passage? Open up to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles uh, 20. I get amens before we even get there. I can feel it in the room, baby. Second Chronicles 20. It's water. You ready to go for a quick ride? All right, Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20. Said it happened... It happened that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some of 
Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from the sea, beyond the sea, from Syria and all these other places. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout Judah. Let's pause there one second. Let's just realize something. Fear, people get a real hard time with fear. Fear is not bad. It's what you do with fear. It's healthy that my kid fears if he walks in the road, he's going to get ran over. But if fear opens the door to the spirit of fear, then it's becoming a problem. He feared, but what he did with fear was, I'm going to turn my eyes to you. So fear came upon him. Some people rip people apart. Well, you're dealing with fear. Well, what are you going to do with it? And so fear came upon him, and it said he set his eyes on the Lord. So his response was to, not to turn deeper into fear. His response was to turn his attention to the Lord. Verse 4. So Judah gathered to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in this assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, our, fa- our God, our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all of the kingdoms and the nations? And in your hands, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Pause there a second. Jehoshaphat is not actually asking questions. <laughs> These are not like, they're not big question marks like, are you actually God? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's saying, aren't you God? Aren't you the one that nations bow? What's he doing? He is speaking into the moment who God is. And he's not, he's not asking God. It's not like God's up there like, who am I again? And Jehoshaphat's, no, you're the God that helps the nations. And got it. That's not what's going on here. He's saying, you are the one that holds everything in your hands. And he begins to declare, can you imagine this? He's brought all the people together. And he stands there in the middle of them all and says, you're God. You are the defender of this nation. And he declares the sin of the moment. <laughs> oh, Verse 7. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the temple in your presence. And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear us. Verse 10. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned from them and did not destroy them. And verse 11. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possessions, which you have, not, which you have given us to inherit. What did they do? They did something interesting here because Jehoshaphat just did something crazy cool. He just made his problem God's problem. He said, all right. I'm making my problem your problem. And he begins to tell him, here's the deal. Here's what's happening. You said this wouldn't happen. And he made it. I love this. He said, I'm not going through this alone. My problem's your problem. How many know God's a great person to have on your side in the middle of problems? And so he makes, he does this interesting thing where he says, your name is in this house. 
He says, it's your possession. He said, you gave it to us and as an inheritance. It's like one of my kids coming to me and saying, Dad, listen, you know, you gave me this thing, you know, and it broke and I got him a Christmas gift and, you know, you told me this was for me, Dad, and what am I going to do? I'm going to fix it because you just made your problem my problem. That's what parents do. And so here he comes, Jehoshaphat says this, he says, listen, God, your name is on this place. This is your possession. What are you going to do about it? That's a new way to pray. Verse 12, he says, oh, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against the great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do but put our eyes on you. This is so important because whatever your eyes are fixed on will always determine the outcome of your situation. People, you're like, why do I keep going round and round and round and round? What are you looking at constantly? Are your eyes constantly looking at the negative? Are your eyes constantly focused on the problem? Because you will keep getting the result of what your eyes are focused on. And here comes Jehoshaphat. He says, I see what's going on. We're focusing our eyes on you because where I look is what I get. And he focused his eyes on him. Verse 13 says, now all Judah with their little ones. Where's Eric? All their little ones with their wives, their children. They stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, and all these other people and said, listen, all you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. <laughs> so they say to him, they say, all right, we're going to do something radical here. We're making our problem your problem. And God says, fine. It's not your battle. It's my battle. Now, I wish it always worked this easily. And I have learned that sometimes it does work that way when God wants us to know whose we are. There are some times when you go into a battle and you can hand it off and he fights your battle and all of a sudden you know, I'm a son. But there are other times that he wants you to learn the authority and power you carry and so he makes you fight. He's always with you. But he doesn't always just come in and fight it. But in this scenario, God said, I got this one. This one's on me. <laughs> verse, uh, verse 17, he says, you'll not need to fight the battle. Position yourselves. Woo! Wow, I never even caught that with what I started with, that we're positioning ourselves this, this year. Stand still and see the salvation, the rescue of the Lord, who is with you, O Jude and Jerusalem. Don't fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and inhabitants of Israel bowed before the Lord, worshiping him. This is so important. You praise in front of, but when he responded, when he did this, they worshiped in response. We gotta get this. We praise in front, I worship in response. And I don't just worship because of what he does. I worship because of who he is. If you worship just because of what he does, when he doesn't do anything, you'll never want to worship him. But I worship 
because of who he is. He's good. And what did they do? They worshiped him. Verse 19, then the Levites and the children of Kohothites and the children of all these other people stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices, here we go, loud. You want your, you want your, uh, he said, they praised him loud. You praise differently when there's an army coming. And he says, just praise me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I look around, right, guys? No weenie praises today. (laughs) Go for it. And it says, they stood up and they praised him loud. Verse 20. Man, I'm feeling this. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And, and they went out and Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah. Remember, you've got to catch this if you don't know this. Judah is praise. Just want to make sure you get that. Hear me, O praise. And you inhabitants of Jerusalem, Believe in the Lord your God and you should be established. Believe in his prophets and you shall prosper. And when the Lord had, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And as they went out before the army, they were saying, I love this. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. I had someone one time try to challenge me on, on worship songs. says that when you sing repetitive songs, that it puts your mind in neutral and it opens you up to demonic spirits. They've obviously not read this scripture. That they went out and said over and over, praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. He kept going. They sent these guys out there. This was huge. They were heading into battle and they began to praise. Something you have to learn was that their weapon was their identity. Their identity was praise. They were Judah. Your weapon is your identity. Let me unpack this really, really quick. Remember when Jesus was taken to the wilderness to be tempted? Most people would say he was tempted three times. I would propose to you he was tempted four times because the first thing that the enemy said to Jesus was this, if you're the son of God. Oh, he tempted his identity. He didn't, the first temptation was not, you know, the stone or throw yourself off. The first thing he did was he said, if you're the son of God. Now this is interesting because what happened right before this? Jesus gets baptized, the heavens rip open, the dove comes down, and what does heaven say? You are my... Immediately he goes into the wilderness and what's the first thing the enemy says? If you're the son of God. Why? Because he knew if he could get him away from his identity, he wasn't going to win this. Why did David, remember when David went into war and they tried to put uh, Saul's armor on him? He said, that's not my identity. Give me a few stones and a sling. I can't win my battle with your identity. Now here's the thing. This was Old Testament pointing towards the New Testament. What's your identity now that you're a believer? I mean, your identity is now that he's in you and you're in him. You're kings, you're priests. You are more than overcomers. You've got everything you need. That's what you fight from. 
And the enemy will come to you, oh, he'll come to you and say, well, if you were really a great believer. He tried it on Jesus. He's going to try it on you. He said, well, if you're really so prophetic, you would have seen that coming. (laughs) I've had people say that to me before. Never mind. And, and it's, it's, if you're if you're if you're if you're really so powerful, why that person not get healed? Because his biggest goal is to take away your identity. Because if he took your identity first, you'll lose the battle. So he started with Jesus. If you're the Son of God, because he knows if he wavers, and see, God knew this was coming. That's why when he baptized him, he affirmed him, "You're my son." Before, I send you, before you go into that wilderness, you need to know, you're my son. Yeah. Yeah. Judah goes out, and they do what their identity is. They praise. Their identity was not swords. Their identity was praise. How many of you know it have been a rough day to be on the praise team? It's like, all right, guys, new plan. We're going, we have this huge group of people that want to kill us. Everybody that's a good singer, you're on the front. It's a bad day to be a vocalist. And they're like, whoa, man, I, I can't sing. I know you can sing. Get out. And so he puts the praisers on the front, and you see that, I mean, come on, man, you've got the guys with the swords are behind you. You're like, you've got my back, you know? And they're going out, all right, here we go. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And what happens next is beautiful. Something happens. God sends angels that set ambushes. Here's the cool thing about angels. Here's, oh, we got to get this about angels, okay? This is really important to understand. You can call on angels, but you can't assign angels. God assigns them. He gives the assignments. We can call. I call on angels all the time. I pray, Lord, just send your angels with assignments to this house. I do it every Sunday. Lord, send your angels. Send your angels. I don't worship angels, I don't worship angels but I'm not dumb. I don't ignore them because they carry things. And I said, Lord, send those angels with assignments this morning. And what does he do? The praises actually release the angels that carry the assignment of ambushing. He didn't say, pray the ambushing angels in. He said, praise the ambushing angels in. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's so good. (laughs) I got to finish. It's getting late. Here he, I don't even know where I am. There we are. That'll work. Start praising him, and he will find you. The angels will come and they will find you. Your praises are like beacons to angels. When you sing, you turn on a beacon and they respond. God wants to do incredible things in this church. He is doing incredible things in the church. We're very honored at what he's doing. But if we want to begin seeing an impact that is far beyond what we've even dreamed about, it's going to come from a church that says, I can praise in front of things. You see the correlation over and over and over. David praised in front. Judah put the praisers in front. He said, I got to get the praisers in the front. 
Get those praisers in the front. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Let the king of glory come through. Praise him in front of it. I'll give you eight things that happen when you praise. And I can put these up on a slide. I've done this before, and I'm going to do it again this morning. You're not going to be able to keep up with me, so... Praise gains rapid access to God's world. Praise gains rapid access to his kingdom. Second one, praise gives God instant access to your world. Paul and Silas praise instantly. Bam, something happened. Praise can create a kairos moment for your situation. Praise creates chaos for the enemy. You realize when you're up here praising your, your head off, your enemies that you're so worried about before you came into the service are getting tormented? You really want to unleash on them? Praise God. <laughs> Why do you think he wants you to not praise him? Because it torments him. Praise unleashes hidden armies of the Lord. I could preach on all these an hour. Praise can create the reality of God as your defender. It makes it a reality. It's great you know God's your defender, but is it your reality? A lot of you know you're a child of God, but is it really your reality? Praise actually makes things reality. Praise opens windows of blessings over your life. And praise will turn your battleground into a blessing ground. I preach this because I, I don't want, I see what could happen if we really tapped into what praise could be. I, I see it. Church, I see it. I told Tiffany coming into this year, I said, you know, I said, the one area I really want to see grow. I said, I come in here every week and I said, you guys have so much glory going on up there. It's ridiculous. There's so much presence in the room. It'll blow your mind. I said, but not everybody's connecting with it. Let this be the year that everybody connects with God in praise and worship in ways that we've never connected with him before. What that takes is us being able to go in front of things and say, imagine this. What if you praised before the band started? What if they accompanied you? You, you see it as I accompany them. What if they're just your accompaniment track for praise? It takes all the weight off the worship leader because I'm just, I'm telling you, I've been in conferences where I got to stand up and lead and it was like, this is going to be fun. And I've got up and said, this is not going to be fun. <laughs> I've been in both rooms, sometimes the same room. <laughs> and you're like, that's going to be hard. But there, there are times that you get up and I, I felt it in this room this morning. I knew it was going to happen. And when you got to that last song, Alleluia, I leaned over to Andrew, I said, something's getting ready to happen. And Matt went, do-do-do-do. And I was like goosebumps down my body. I'm like, there it is. We just went into a new place. But next week should be higher. And the next week, this is the first Sunday in January. I'm, I'm challenging you folks. 
let's be a place that radically praises the Lord. David was king and he looked like a fool to his wife. He said, I'm not worried about it. I was a worshiper. You, you knew when you picked me what you got. <laughs> king knew when he picked me to come out and fight. You knew what you're getting. You're getting a worshiper. I'm going to be honest with you. Those of you that did vote me in, you knew what you got <laughs> as your pastor. And I'm a worshiper. I'm a praiser. When I, when I, when I, one of the things that was unique when we had the family conference, Ivan came over to me and he said, John, he said, I don't know if you've ever known this before. He said, but you have a unique ability to come up as the pastor, but also to carry the worship. He said, that's something interesting. As you step away from that position, you still have a position in worship. It's just a different position. I don't care where things go. I will always be a worshiper. I will always be a praiser. And right now we're blessed. We got an awesome band. There have been times where we hadn't had such an awesome band. And it's a little rough. But I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him. If you come to this house, it will be a house where we praise him. I hate second services, to be honest with you, because it cuts off time to praise him. Just to be honest. I mean, I recognize if we kept growing, we may have to explore that for a season, but I don't want to do it because I want to have time to just praise him. Let's make that our priority this year. In the middle of everything, I praise you. In front of everything, I praise you. In the midst, I praise you. As a result, I praise you. Let's stand.